Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness. Great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? This is Gretchen Gagel, and I am so excited to welcome Tootie Scott, founder of Changemaker Strategies and um, leader of various other initiatives in the world to the Greatness Podcast. Welcome, Tootie. Thank you so much for having me. I, um, it's really fun to do this podcast because Tootie and I met oh, probably a decade ago when I was working at the Women's Funding Network. And I've just seen the work of Tootie kind of going by for the last decade and just been a huge fan of everything you're making happen. And thought, wow, I really need to invite her onto the podcast to talk about all the amazing work that you're doing. But before we talk about all that amazing work, I love to start with my guests by asking, how did your life journey lead you to what you're passionate about today? What was it that happened in your life that made the passions that you care so deeply for today occur? Thank you. That's a great question. Uh, there's a lot of them. I'll pick a few. One being my mother uh, was a, a single mom for the most part, raising five of us in rural New Hampshire. She had mm. one of the first sort of organic farms before it was trendy and mostly for us to survive. You know, our cow was T-bone, you know, the pig was bacon and you can figure out what that happened there. So I just admired her resilience and strength and um, her sense of abundance and creativity. And I model that in my work today. And I really have been sort of an advocate for anybody who's under-resourced, but has abundant creativity and offerings for the world. So that has looked like uh, supporting women's sports that has looked like supporting, you know, women athletes step into their leadership. It's been supporting political leaders. And now I, I do a lot of work in uh, women with capital who want to deploy it with their generosity and also uh, to make some social and financial impact. Yeah. And so, you know, we share that passion that, that I have to say, that's one thing that people who don't have opportunity or people who are in some way being um, put down, told they can't do something. My my inspiration came in a bit of a different way, Tootie, in that my father told me I couldn't go to engineering school because girls didn't do that. And when I turned down Harvard to go to engineering school, he disowned me. Uh, he was so disappointed in me, and and it and it just fueled this. Well, why can't I go to engineering? What what, what is this unspoken rule that? girls can't go to engineering school. Mm -hmm. And you and I were talking before we started recording. I'm so proud of my older sister. Um, she, in co-counsel with the Women's Sports Foundation, won one of the first big Title IX cases. Gosh, I, I mean, that had to have been 30 years ago mm -hmm. or more. Mm -hmm. um, the CSU women's softball team mm -hmm. um, that was cut and successfully reinstated um, through a lawsuit and the groundbreaking lawsuits that made Title IX stick, which has had an incredible impact on um, women's athletics. And, and you've been, as you said, uh, very involved in the past in supporting women athletes. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that about your father. Hopefully, you know, there's more um, 
cis hetero men, white men who are awakening to the powers of women uh, of all backgrounds and spectrum. So yes, I, I did an expository essay when I was 18 at Ithaca College. So that was 1980. And I interviewed all the coaches and blindly just, and I won a campus award. And next thing I knew I was in the athletic director's office and he was asking me if I had a lawyer. And I was just this curious, <laughs> lifelong learner, pretty naive and innocent from my background. And, and so that sort of educated me on the power of the civil rights legislation of Title IX. And now we are 50 years later and women are still receiving billions of dollars less in athletic scholarships. If you were paying attention, you saw what happened at the Final Four and the discrepancies in resources for the championships. It's uh, it's really sort of shameful that uh, people in power, and again, predominantly white men who are in power, don't do the right thing until a legal suit is in front of them or someone's threatening them with data that demonstrates that they're not in compliance and then they do the right thing. Mm -hmm. So it's um, it shouldn't take them having a daughter (laughs) and even now sharing your story. It doesn't even, you know, it doesn't sort of have resonance for some men um, to do, to do what Mm. is right. It's so fascinating. Um, And I do want to get to the work you're doing in women deploying capital, but I I have done most of my career. My advisement's been in the construction industry. In fact, I was um, I was inducted into the National Academy of Construction last year in the United States, which was a, a huge honor. And I sit on the Associated General Contractors of America Diversity and Inclusion Committee now. Great. And I'm just started. And I I um, and I need to get this person on the podcast. I heard the the most amazing presentation by a. 50-something-year-old white male, third-generation contractor who became enlightened by going to a training called the White Man's Caucus. I don't know if you've heard about this, but um, there's a book related to it called Four Days of Change, which I'm I'm, um, trying to clear my decks to read. And he said, I just didn't get what white male culture looked like until I went to this training. And he said it was a life-changing event for me We've now been on a new diversity, equity, and inclusion um, initiative at our company. They're in Michigan. And um, I I had tried this before and it didn't work and I didn't understand why. And now it's painfully obvious all the subconscious bias and all this other stuff that's going on. And we've gone from a $200 million company to a $500 million company in three years because of our efforts around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's mm-hmm. what I love to hear are those stories of enlightenment yes. and deep understanding um, versus the also important, okay, we take legal action to drive equity, but that it's a business decision too. That's what I found so um, uplifting about that story. That's beautiful. Congratulations. Thank you for your leadership in that space. I mean, I think, you know, the past probably five years for a lot of us and um, myself specifically is you know, just recognizing the privilege as a white educated woman and what I can bring uh, in terms of advancing as an accomplice uh, people and even being a co-conspirator with some badass black and brown women to really, you know, lift up the reality of injustice and systemic oppressions that people aren't even aware of. And that's, you know, Mm -hmm. just the reality of our financial sector, for sure, 
our sports sector, our media sector, you know, globally. And so it's really the leaders and, and hats off to this, this leader in construction and yourself for, for naming it and tracking it and being intentional about, you know, who's sitting around the table and who's making decisions and where are the resources being moved to and towards. My favorite quote that I bring into every conversation, because I love bell hooks, um, fierce, you know, uh, leader and, and her spirit, but she says, imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy does not afford us to live or die with optimal well-being. It doesn't serve the 99%. Mm-hmm. So if you just recognize yeah. that and you can uh, find allies and people who want to step up and be a leader, um, that's really what I'm trying to do. Yeah, it's so amazing. I I read a great HBR article on why we need to talk about privilege at work. And I had him on the podcast, Lee Jordan. He was formerly head of diversity inclusion. I'm embarrassed to say it was either Chevron or Shell. I think it was Chevron. But he he made an interesting point. He said, we all have a pecking order to your point about being a white educated woman. He said, as a black man, I probably have more privilege in construction than you as a white woman, <laughs> which I thought was a really interesting observation, totally. but different contexts and, and understanding where privilege comes from and socioeconomic background and education and and all of those things. And I don't know, Deborah Richardson um, mm. and I worked together at the Women's Funding Network. Uh, you're nodding your head. You know, Deborah. Uh, who's now moved to my hometown of Denver. And she and I reconnected there last year. And she taught me a lot about institutional racism. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. I'm, I'm just a white girl from Kansas still trying to understand what this what this yeah. world looks like and how I can be helpful. But enough about me. Let's talk about you and your current um, efforts around women and money and gender lens investing. This is, uh, this is, fascinating work. And as I said, I've been kind of watching all this work happening and thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to talk to Tootie about this more. So tell us about this initiative. What What is this? Yeah, sure. So um, I wrote a guide um, based on all the trainings I had done in the women's funding space. So to many, many network members, funds, I traveled around the US and globally talking about how to move your money as a philanthropist with a gender lens. And, um, you know, part of that is examining women's own internalized sexism and stepping away from that and saying, yeah, actually we should invest in ourselves. And then the next layer, of course, is decentering whiteness in that conversation and actually funding leaders, uh, black and brown leaders and queer leaders. And and so that's a slow evolution. I've been doing this for, you know, up to 20 years now. And, from there, I realized, and this is a, a painful data point, right? We get 1.6% of all philanthropic dollars go to women and girls. Mm. You're looking at about $450 billion in the U.S. philanthropic annual nut. And then I thought, well, gosh, what if we looked at the capital markets where there's you know, $70 trillion moving and we got 1.6% of that moved mm. with the gender lens? So that's when I started learning from, you know, the serious experts in the field, Suzanne Beagle, Joy Anderson, Jackie Vanderbrook, you know, they are what I call sort of the godmothers of the field. And they've been doing convenings and thought papers and uh, promoting the products that are now there's, you know, over 11 billion in public equities uh, that are 
products that you and I can just invest in online mm-hmm. that are looking not only just at the impact of a woman in leadership and on boards or in the C-suite, but also starting to look even deeper at the policies and practices of the company and or what's happening in the supply chain of the company. And so, and to your point, as you saw your company grow from 300 to 500 million, like there's growth associated with women in leadership. So it's a financial decision as well as a moral one, in my opinion. Uh, So there's all sorts of ways to bring a gender lens, you know, as a philanthropist and as someone who's, you know, moving money in the public and private markets. So that's where I've been trying to educate women in philanthropy to, 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 to pay attention and actually lean into the conversation around investments. Mm-hmm. And I've um, been part of a group called Invest for Better, mm-hmm. uh, which is an incredible opportunity to bring women in a circle and learn together over a series of six sessions and really sort of unpack your money stories, unpack your values, talk about what your archetype is, your risk type, and then really dive into, you know, the SDG goals, the sustainable development goals, which are really being used by a lot of funds to monitor their impact, as well as a lot of philanthropists. So if you can identify some focus areas, you want to move your capital, there's products all the way through uh, all of those goals of, you know, clean water, climate and gender equity is in there as well. So that's really the power of Invest for Better is is getting women to start moving from knowledge to action Mm. and start deploying their capital in alignment with their values. So you can imagine, right, in philanthropy, here's a great, huge foundation deploying lots of capital towards climate justice and feeling really proud about it. And then their investment committee sits over here and they have huge holdings in fossil fuels. Mm. And you're like, okay, this does not compute. So that's part of the philanthropic journey is to look at corpuses and reserves and endowed funds and say, where is our money held? Mm. And are we deploying it in a way that aligns with our values and or our mission? Mm. So it's it's fascinating how much eye opening to me, it parallels the same conversation around gender and men waking up to women. It's this is very similar. The financial sector, you know, was built by men for men and mm-hmm. it has a framing of you know, an obsession of growth at all costs. Um, And that isn't what the next generation wants with their money. You know, B Corps are taking off, right? Purpose, planet, people, and oh, yes, profit. Mm -hmm. You know, not leading with profit. So B certified corps are on the rise. And so we need to pay attention to that. And we need to be students of that and hopefully challenge boards and leadership teams to do the right thing. It's so fascinating. One of the many hats that I wear, I teach ethics at Mm. the University of Denver in their MBA program. I was the first MBA class back in the early 90s that had to take a full semester in ethics. Bowie Sewell was my ethics professor, and I actually had the joy of interviewing him for this course. He's an amazing person. And um, we, we talk about capitalism and the, I'm trying to think of the word, kind of the, the global context of, I don't want to say right and wrongness because that's not, a lot of these are right versus right decisions, but how we all set our individual moral compass, mm-hmm. how we ensure that we're working in a context that aligns with that moral compass and that that's individual to each person. Each person has to look themselves in the eye and say, I'm making decisions. I'm doing things that align with what I value. And I think taking this to an investment and thinking about 
access to capital, um, your investment strategies is such a fabulous way to think about this. So if I'm a listener out there though, and I've, this is like a new thing to me, let's say, let's say I'm a a young woman early in my career and, Mm -hmm. and maybe I'm just starting to have the capital to invest in the world. What, where do I start? Like what, Mm. what are my first steps to educate myself Mm. about what my philosophy looks like, what my moral compass looks like in, in, in investing? Sure. Well, um, hopefully you'd read my guide. It's free. It's downloadable. It's accessible. And your website. On my website, tutiscott.com. And your website is, we want to tell everyone. T-U-T-I-S-C-O-T-T dot com, You can download uh, the guide, Moving Money for Impact, a guide to gender lens investing. It also talks about racial justice and it lifts up case studies, sample portfolios, sample strategies, resources, um, so that would be my first suggestion. Um, and there's great, uh, data now as you sow, A-S-Y-O-U-S-O-W, as you sow.org tracks the performance now of, uh, a lot of the public equity products. So if you have any kind of retirement fund, or if somebody says, this is a really great fund, you should invest in it. You should just run it by as you sow and see how it, you know how it measures up along those lines of race and gender justice. And, you know, I think asking the question as a consumer, how much is enough? Where, you know, in terms of do we need more stuff <laughs> versus maybe I could give that money and invest, you know, friends and family in a startup of a black and brown woman entrepreneur. You know, that would be my first suggestion you know, the wealth gap, people need to understand wealth gap is how much you own, assets you own, the wealth gap. So in the U.S., 32 cents on the dollar white women have. Black and brown women, compared to men, black and brown women have less than a penny compared to Mm. a dollar of assets of men. So that, you know, we don't have to prove the case of the need for investing in, um, queer women and black and brown women. It's, it's there. So you should be always looking for those folks. I lift up many of them in the book. Um, Adesina Capital. I love Rachel Robiscotti. JSTC is a, an ETF fund that you can go online on any account. There's no threshold. You can start and put money in there. And she screens companies from the perspective of what the communities. Um, desire. You know, so for instance, you know, her firm asked, you know, what is it that women really want? Is it really, should we really be tracking women in leadership and the communities, the women in corporate, guess what they want, Gretchen, I'm sure you understand this. They wanted people to track and address the NDAs and the sexual harassment issues that are inside. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at the, you know, who you're serving and actually what they want. And then that's how she builds her whole portfolio. So again, looking at issues for communities of color, they wanted, they want people to address what's happening in the prison systems. So, you know, the prison industrial complex. So she makes sure all of her products are proactively trying to dismantle that system or for sure not participate in it. So it's, there's all of this kind of screening. And now with all, you know, the fascinating work we can do with data and overlays, you can find the right place for you to move your money. 
There's also a product called Gender Fair, F-A-I-R, and they track from a consumer perspective, you know, if you're going to buy something, who's better in terms of how they take care of women? So if it's a similar product you can buy sort of anywhere, why not look at a company that might be taking care of women a little better than the others? I'm so fascinated because when you said that about data, that's what I was sitting here thinking is that finally we have access to lots and lots of data about this. And it, and so it's interesting that that personal journey, for me, this was the personal journey. When I was with the big investment banking strategy firm and I went back and did my master's in nonprofit and thought about coming into the nonprofit sector, my first course was about kind of the whole philanthropic landscape. And it helped me work through what do I care about? I care about women and I care about education. I'm a first generation college graduate. My sister and I both, and um, we have six degrees between us. So wow. I, I have four, she has two. Um, so we, you know, we, we grabbed hold of that education <laughs> thing, but that that's what I really care about. And so yeah. this internal journey of thinking about what's really important to me, what do I care about? What do I value? Yeah. And then this enlightenment that you can do something about the state of the world, because it can seem overwhelming to people to think about climate change, to think about violence against women, to think about poverty, but and think, oh my gosh, I can't do anything about poverty. Well, yes, you can. I've been investing in Capital Sisters for years. Mm-hmm. Capital Sisters does micro lending, yeah. um, primarily in uh, Guatemala, but these micro loans to these women, and they're ninety nine percent repaid they're buying chickens they're buying goats but you're you can do something absolutely Um, i want to share a little story my husband and i were in bali about a month ago and we had a private guide showing us um, some parts of bali and he took us to an art gallery and beautiful art gallery they said they've been there 30 years and hundreds of pieces and the gentleman that was walking us through i said um he said, oh, we represent 200 artists. And, and I said, well, how many of them are women? Hmm. And I'm embarrassed that 10 years ago, I might not have thought to ask this, even having been president of the Women's Foundation of Colorado and worked for the Women's Funding Network, that I still have to remind myself sometimes to be fully present to this as a consumer, to your hmm. point about um, gender mm-hmm. fair. And what do you think his answer was? How many of the 200 artists were women? Mm. Sad to say, I'm going to say five or less. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. So I looked at him and I said, you know what? I very much like that piece of art there because I like to collect art as I'm traveling. Um, I'm not buying it from you. I'm not going to buy it from you because you don't support women artists. He goes, well, they're they're too busy yes. to do yes. art. They're raising their children and everything. I said, nope. And he followed me all the way out to the driveway, trying to bring the price down and bring the price down. And I, and I just said, and, but I wanted him to understand why I wasn't buying the art because they didn't support not one um, female artist. And I think that's the, that we need to reconcile, recognize as consumers and investors, we can make a difference with our voice. Thank you. I love that story. That is so important. That's exactly it. You have to ask the questions and the data is there and or the person running the show can should answer and hopefully affirmatively. And yeah, I'm going to add some to your capital sisters list. I would add um, Astia, 
ASTIA, I would add Root Capital, Women's World Banking, uh, Coralis. I love the Coralis model, formerly CEO, $1,000 a year, and you're helping incredible entrepreneurs. And to your point, women have a have a 99% payback rate in, in all of these companies I just mentioned. So it's a smart investment. And there are people who are doing the due diligence, and you just need to give them you know, whatever you can afford. And it's a great model. And you have financial impact and social impact. And, you know, we need, we get to create, you know, the opportunity to lift up policies and practices that reflect equity, access, and justice. So finding those firms that have that as their foundation, um, it's available. They're there. Yeah. And, and I think about, gosh, what if every person that walked into that gallery asked that question, I bet they'd have, I bet they could go find some female artists, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they might even encourage them to, um, to take time away from all those things they're so busy doing that they don't have time to be artists because they couldn't possibly need a creative outlet. Right. Yeah, um, that's, I, that's, I just find that just in this day and age shocking. Tootie, I'm going to say your website again, Tootie Scott, T-U-T-I Scott.com. I'm going to encourage um, our listeners to reach out to you and and just to be mindfully present that, yes, we can make a difference with our consumer dollars, with our investment dollars. We can make a difference in the world. Um, Tootie, any any last words of advice for our listeners out there as we as we um, as we finish up? Yeah, just start small. I remember at the Women's Sports Foundation when I first started, like just maxing out on if you have some kind of retirement plan or savings plan, just do the max, stop the Starbucks for a month and save that money. You can start at any small level and start thinking about being a generous giver, a funder of women's political campaigns, a funder of women's businesses, uh, it's important. It's important. We haven't gotten the money. And when we do, we do right by it. So time to step up, people. Oh, I love that. It is time to step up, people. And Tootie, I am a raving fan of yours. Um, I am just, I feel like it's been such a gift to have met you and to continue to see your work. And Hopefully, um, you and I will be sharing a, a coffee or a drink, or maybe Women's World Cup soccer next year is in there our future go. in um, Australia. Thanks so go. much, Judy, for joining us. No, I appreciate it. We are kindred spirits in a lot of ways, and I, I, I really admire your career and how you've pivoted, and uh, I respect that. And keep keep up the incredible work. Thank you, Richard. You too, Judy. Take care. Interested in hearing more? Visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you.